the former passengers by bithia mary croker this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by newgate novelist the former passengers by bithia mary croker who is whispering and calling through the rain far above the tempest crashing and the torrent's ceaseless dashing i hear a weary calling as of pain if anyone can help you it will be captain blaine this sentence was uttered by a smart young clerk in a shipping office in rangoon who clothed in cool white drill leant his elbows confidentially on the desk and concluded his speech with a reassuring nod i was en route from upper burma to singapore in order to attend my sister's wedding our flat river-boat was late and when i presented myself at the booking-office of the p and o i found to my dismay that the steamer for the straits had sailed at dawn and that there would not be another for a week i was therefore bound to miss the wedding and waste my precious leave in rangoon thanks to the leisurely old tub that had dawdled from mandalay i turned my eyes expectantly on captain blaine a short-necked weather-beaten sailor in a blue serge coat with gilt buttons and a peaked cap he surveyed me steadily with a pair of small keen eyes and evidently did not receive the suggestion with enthusiasm we don't carry passengers he announced in a gruff voice my ship is only a cargo boat a tramp and we have no accommodation whatsoever no accommodation echoed the clerk incredulously oh i say come why you know very well that all the cabins are chock-full of cargo and we have never carried a passenger since i took command if there was any hole or corner where you could stow me i don't mind how i rough it i urged i'll pay full first-class fare oh there's lots of holes and corners admitted the captain and you'd just get the ship's rations same as the officers and myself no soups and entrees plain roast and boiled i'm not particular i'm ready to eat salt junk and sea biscuit i'll do anything short of swimming to get to singapore by next wednesday is it so very important demanded captain blaine a wedding no no in answer to his commiserating stare not my own but i've to give away the bride well well i suppose i must try and stretch a point mind i'll take you at your word about the passage money never refuse a good offer is my motto so mr and he paused interrogatively lawrence is my name mr lawrence if you'll be down at godwin's wharf to-morrow at nine o'clock with your baggage and bedding and servant we will lie off a bit and any sampan will put you aboard in five minutes ask for the wandering star and with a nod between the clerk and myself he turned his back and stumped out <laughs> he is not very keen about passengers eh remarked the clerk with a laugh i wonder why 
i suppose because she is a dirty old cargo boat but any port in a storm or rather any ship in this crisis for me ah said the clerk rubbing his chin reflectively i've a sort of idea though perhaps i dreamt it that there is something rum or out of the way about this wandering star well whatever it is i'll risk it i answered with a laugh as i followed the captain's example and took my departure punctually at nine o'clock next morning i embarked in a sampan and was rowed down the swift irrawaddy that cannot be my steamer i protested as the boatman made for a long low raking craft a craft of considerable pretensions she looked like one of the smaller vessels of the p and o fleet but sure enough the boatman was right for as we passed under her stern i read in yellow letters the name wandering star a closer inspection showed her to be simply what her commander had stated a tramp she was dirty rusty and travel-stained when i clambered aboard i found no snowy decks or shining brasses but piles of cargo bustling coolies and busy blue-clad alaskas i was immediately accosted by the captain who presented me to the chief officer and to a fellow-traveller a sallow lanky youth of nineteen going to join his friends in the straits i thought he would be company for you explained the sailor we are off in half an hour pointing to the blue peter at the fore and we're loaded to the hatches mr kelly here will show you to your quarters as i followed the chief officer i was astonished at the dimensions of the star it was a considerable distance from the captain's snug cabin near the bridge to the poop we made our way below into a long saloon with tables and seats intact but the aft part piled high with bales there was a strange musty mouldy smell it felt damp and vault-like and afforded a sharp contrast to the blazing sun and cobalt sky on deck as my eye became used to the gloom i noticed the lavish carving the handsome mahogany and brass fittings the maple-wood doors and panels the remains of better days my cabin contained two bunks and in one of these my servant a madras butler called saw me had already arranged my bedding i wonder you don't carry passengers i remarked to mr kelly what a fine saloon i should have thought it would have paid well she carried hundreds in her day he said complacently you see there is where the piano was hitched and there the swinging lamps and bookcase but all the same it would never pay us to take passengers <laughs> and he laughed an odd sort of laugh we are not a regular liner you know trading between two ports regular liners look on us as dirt but lots of em would give a good deal for our lines and our engines there's some of them i would not send my old boots home in we pick up cargo as we find it one time we run to zanzibar another to hong kong another to the cape or maybe sydney i've not been home this three years i hope you'll find your bunk comfortable 
the youngster is opposite just across the saloon you know your way back and having done the honours he left me certainly the star was much above her present business and bore the remains of having seen better days even my marble washstand was not in keeping with a cargo steamer i opened the next cabin it was crammed to the door with freight bird cages in this instance every cabin was no doubt similarly packed i was not sorry to exchange the earthy chill atmosphere below for the bright sunshine on deck soon we had weighed anchor and were moving smoothly down the rapid irrawaddy between high banks of tawny grass gradually losing sight of the shipping then of the golden pagoda then of elephant point finally the star put her nose straight out to cross the gulf of martaban the sea was calm and we were well fed and found and made a pleasant party of six the captain first and second officers the chief engineer and two passengers i slept like a top that night and awoke next morning and found we were anchored off malmain with its hills covered with pagodas and palms from malmain we put to sea and still the weather once more favoured us the captain was a capital companion full of anecdotes and sea stories the chief engineer was a first-rate chess-player and i began to think i had done rather a smart thing in securing a passage in this stray steamer as the captain concluded a thrilling yarn apropos of a former ship in which he had been third officer i suddenly recalled the shipping clerk's hint and asked are there no stories about this one has she no history captain blaine looked at the chief officer with a knowing grin and then replied history of course she has what do you call the log-book that's her history i suppose that chap at the office told you she was considered an unlucky ship eh come now own up no but he said he had an idea that there was something queer about her he could not remember what it was well i've been in command of her now four years and i've seen nothing to complain of what do you say kelly appealing to the first officer i say that i never wish to put foot on a better sea-boat and there's nothing wrong with her as far as i know but saw me my madras boy entertained a totally different opinion of the star when i asked him why he did not sleep outside my door in the saloon he frankly replied because plenty devil in this ship the chief serang head of the lascars telling me that saloon plenty bad place we were now within forty-eight hours of singapore when the weather suddenly changed as it frequently does in those treacherous seas the awning was taken down sure presage of a bad time coming the ports were closed and all was made ready for a blow and we were not disappointed it came we had a rough night but i was not in the least inconvenienced i slept like a dormouse rocked in the cradle of the deep in the morning my fellow-passenger whose name by the way was mellish and who had evidently suffered to judge by his ghastly appearance accosted me timidly and said did you get up and walk about in the night no 
do you ever walk in your sleep he continued not to my knowledge why because last night some one came and hammered on my cabin door and shouted the ship's aground what do you think it can have been he asked with a frightful face i think there is no doubt that it was the hot tinned lobster you had for supper i answered promptly no 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 it was not a dream it woke me he returned i thought it was you then i tried to think it was a nightmare and had almost brought myself to believe it and was dropping off to sleep when a cold cold wet hand was passed slowly across my face and he shuddered violently lobster i repeated emphatically no no oh mr lawrence i heard moaning and whispering and praying i'm afraid to sleep in that cabin alone may i come and share yours there is no room i answered rather shortly the top berth is crammed full of my things at breakfast there was a good deal of movement and now and then a loud splash upon the deck the captain who had been tapping the barometer looked unusually solemn and said we are in for a bit of dirty weather unless i'm mistaken there's a cyclone somewhere about i don't think we shall do more than touch the edge of it and this is a stout craft so you need not be uneasy this was vastly reassuring when the sky to the west changed from a lowering grey to an inky black the wind rose with a whimper that increased to a shriek it lashed the sea with fury lashing it into enormous waves and laden as we were we began to roll at first majestically then heavily then helplessly we took in great green seas over the bows tons of water discharged themselves amidships and made us stagger and groan but still through it all the engines thumped doggedly on we seized our dinner anyhow sitting standing kneeling adapting ourselves to the momentary angle of the vessel it was a miserable evening wet and cold and mellish and i went to bed early the dead lights were down the hatchway closed behind us we were entirely cut off from the rest of our shipmates for the night and the saloon smelt more vault-like than ever i turned away from mellish's grey frightened face and stammering piteous importunities shut myself into my cabin bolted the door went to bed and fell asleep meanwhile the storm increased to a hurricane the motion was tremendous i was flung violently out on the floor as the star made one awful plunge and then righted herself i was needless to state now thoroughly awake and scrambling back into my berth and clinging to the woodwork with both hands lay listening to the roaring of the tempest which rose now and then to a shrill shriek that had a terribly human sound my heart beat fast as my ears assured it that i was not merely listening to the raving of the gale but actually to the piercing screams of women and the hoarse shouts of men just as i had arrived at this amazing conclusion the door of the cabin was burst open and an elderly man in his shirt-sleeves was hurled in we're going down 
he bawled excitedly and the hatches are fast i sprang up and the next lurch shot us both out into the saloon and what a scene did i behold by three lamps that swung violently to and fro their fitful light showed me a large number of half-dressed strangers in the last extremity of mortal fear there was the horrible selfish pushing and struggling of a panic-stricken crowd fighting their way towards the companion ladder the wild frenzied distraction people exhibit when striving to escape from some deadly peril the tumult the cries and shrieks of frightened women making frantic appeals for rescue cries heart-rending to hear besides the dense struggling block at one end of the cabin battling fiercely for escape there were various groups apparently resigned to their impending fate a family at prayer two men drinking raw brandy out of tumblers an ayah beating her head upon the floor and calling upon ramaswami an old lady with a shawl over her head and a bible on her knee a young man and a girl hand locked in hand whispering last words a pale woman with a sleeping child in her arms i saw them all i saw mellish clinging to the saloon handrail his eyes glazed with horror and gibbering like an idiot the crash of broken crockery the shrieks of despair the roaring of the wind the sullen thundering of the seas overhead combined to make up the most frightful scene that could possibly be imagined then all at once a beautiful girl with long dark hair streaming over a white gown rushed out of a cabin and threw herself upon me flinging her arms round my neck she sobbed oh save me save me don't let me die don't let me die her wild agonized face was pressed closely to mine her frantic clasp round my neck tightened like a band of steel closer 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 i was choking i could not move or breathe she was strangling me as she shrieked in my ear it is coming now this is death there was one awful lurch a grinding crash a sinking sensation a vice-like grip about my throat and outer darkness i was aroused in broad daylight by somi who had brought my tea and shaving water i was lying on the floor of the saloon and he was stooping over me with a frightened expression on his broad brown countenance at first i thinking master dead was his candid announcement me plenty frading why master lying here and no in bed why indeed a plunge of my head into cool water and a cup of tea brought me to myself and then i flung on my dressing-gown and hurried across the saloon to see what had become of the miserable mellish he was stretched in his berth with a life-belt beside him rigid and cold and in a sort of fit with brandy burnt brown paper and great difficulty somi and i brought him round as soon as he had come to his senses and realized that he was still in the land of the living he sat up and turned on me quite ferociously and said and that's what you call lobster 
the weather had moderated considerably and though i had no great appetite i was able to appear at breakfast mellish was too shattered to join us and lay in a long chair in the deck-house sipping beef-tea and hysterically assuring all inquirers that he would never again set foot in the saloon no he would much rather die i suppose you got knocked about a bit last night inquired the captain with a searching glance not exactly knocked about i did not mind that so much but and i hesitated but you were disturbed he added significantly yes very much so i hope i shall never be disturbed in such a way again then i take it you've seen them the former passengers they are generally aboard they say in dirty weather whatever they were i trust in god i may never witness such another scene you don't wonder now that we are not free of offering cabin accommodation eh not that i ever saw anything myself but you admit there is something so they say nodding his head with a jaunty air and what is the explanation what do they say i asked impatiently just this the wandering star was once the atalanta a fine passenger steamer and coming out her last trip she fell in for the tail of a cyclone and came to grief off the lacadives blown out of her course engine fires put out went on a rock and sank in ten fathoms every soul on board went down except a steward and a fireman who got off on a hen-coop it was an awful business sixty-nine passengers besides officers and crew she sank like a stone no time to get battered to pieces and so she was right well worth her salvage the company bought her cheap she was but little damaged they raised and sold her she was intended for the pilgrim traffic from bombay to mecca and in fact she did make a couple of trips but somehow she got a bad name the pilgrims said she was possessed of devils <laughs> and so the owners put her into the wheat and rice and general cargo trade and we have no complaints she has been at it these five years and is as i take you to witness a grand sea-boat and has fine accommodation between decks as well as aft it's only in real dirty weather that there is anything amiss and that in the saloon they say lowering his voice to a hoarse whisper they kept the passengers below battened down they got no chance for their lives it was a mistake they were all drowned like rats in their holes mind you i've seen nothing and i'm not a superstitious man would you sleep in the saloon i sternly demanded no for in a blow my place is on the bridge but i'll not deny that a second officer who has left us tried a bunk down there once out of curiosity and did not repeat the experiment he was properly scared <laughs> and the captain chuckled at the recollection i suppose we shall get in to-night i remarked as we paced the deck together yes about eleven o'clock we are doing our twelve knots dirty-looking old hooker as we are so much the better i answered 
for you will not be surprised to hear that i am not anxious to occupy my berth again i am thankful to relate that i slept on land that same night and was not disturbed i often glance at the shipping lists to see if there is any news of the wandering star i note that she is still tramping the ocean from china to peru and i have not the smallest doubt but that on stormy nights the saloon is still crowded with the distracted spectres of her former passengers end of the former passengers by bithia mary croker